0: Our sermon text is from Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things (laughs) will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. It's great to be with you. On our communion Sunday, our family Sunday, and let's try to say it, uh, the first Sunday of the month, we have all the kids up here with us as much as we can, uh, and just know that they're welcome. And if they're loud, that's okay. I think this is a bonus Sunday because Camille's downstairs with with a bunch of babies, so give Camille a (laughs) hug later. But if you have kids, they're welcome in the the gathering. We're glad to have them. Uh, We are a church family. Well, uh, a brief state of the communion, state of our church family, is uh, that I feel just super encouraged about uh, how the last few weeks and how the summer is going. One of the, the prayers uh, for us as a church family that I have had is that we would uh, that we'd get a lot of time together. Because one of the, the doctrines that we believe is true is that all of us as Christians... As members of this church, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and so when we look at uh, reaching out to other people, we look at becoming more like Jesus. One of the key ways that happens is by simply being together, spending time together, because we all have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and so you don't want to just only spend time with me or only spend time with one person, uh, but together we, we are the body of Christ, and so it's happening. Uh, the Carters hosted a great party on uh, on Wednesday, and we had a work night on Thursday, and the McKenzie's hosted a lake side party, I guess, with a rope swing. That was super fun. And it just, I, I feel really uh, grateful that uh, we, we're getting a lot of time together as a church family. And I think it's important if it, uh, it, it, in terms of a priority because we, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And also, we value rest And here as a church. And so we're approaching a rest in August. We're going to take a break from pretty much everything. Uh, except for meeting on Sunday mornings as we kind of gear up for the fall and stuff. So as you're thinking through your summer, let's go hard. Let's have lots of fun here in July. Uh, invite people into anything that you can invite them into in terms of trips to the beach or the grocery store or house projects or anything. And then uh, know that in August, we'll, we'll kind of take a, take a pause before the fall sets in. So we, we gather, we scatter, we play and we rest, all those things. Well, you'll notice on uh, the front of your bulletin uh, that... I did a, a Change the Sermon series. We're still going through the Sermon on the Mount, but Change the Sermon series. Lack of better title, Show Me How to Live. Uh, because as we finish out the Sermon on the Mount for the rest of the summer, Jesus gets pretty immensely practical in some like pretty nitty-gritty aspects of our life. And so I wanted to kind of highlight that this is our King and Savior, the one who died for us, calling us to live according to the way that he designed life uh, to be lived. And you'll notice on the front of your bulletin, I have a very poorly designed, uh, homemade graphic that I came up with in Microsoft Word, or Pages, or whatever it is that I use. Uh, and it's the heart-body loop, uh, where it's simply trying to point out the truth that what goes on in our hearts affects our bodies, affects how we live in the world. And how we live in the world with our bodies, it affects what goes on in our hearts. Both those things are movably connected, uh, and that'll play out as we... It's played out during the whole sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, but it's going to play out a lot today and moving forward. So That's why I did that. today we're looking at anxiety. We're looking at worry, and Jesus pretty bluntly says, don't do it. Which is interesting, because if you are like me, I feel like anxiety and worry is one of those kind of acceptable sins that we all just kind of like shrug and chuckle at. Moms be worrying, dads are stressed about work and money. It's just kind of part of life. But we have our God and Savior telling us, just don't do it. And it's also one of those sins that I think none of us are going to fight to keep. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we might love food or drink or a certain type of sexual sin that, that we're kind of hooked on. But I don't think anybody's like, you better not touch my worry. I love to be anxious. So I would say Jesus is calling us out of something that, if you're like me, you probably feel kind of stuck in. We can feel kind of trapped in. That's like Jesus is saying, don't breathe or eat because it's just kind of part of life. But instead, Jesus is saying "That's just not the way of my people. It's not the way in the kingdom of God and the good life with God. One of the marks of God's people, of his children, is that they do not worry about their lives. So when we have worry in our lives as God's children we should take it very seriously. It's like a a flashing red warning sign that there's some broken stuff going on in our souls. Now, for those who call Jesus Lord, who've been saved by grace, through faith, we're in the kingdom of God by grace, so we don't need to feel condemned by our our anxiety. Instead, we hear the call when we see our anxiety come up. We hear the call of our Father calling us out of it. So uh, There's a gentle but very clear rebuke from our Savior and friend Jesus saying, don't worry, Uh, but he's also saying it in love because you don't have to. So today we're gonna first describe and define anxiety, and then we're gonna look at Jesus's reasons for why we should not be anxious or worry about our lives. So here's our working definition of anxiety. Anxiety is a God complex. Anxiety is a God complex. I picked that term, kinda summarizing lots of different definitions because I believe it gets at the literal insanity of anxiety, the literal break from reality that anxiety is. When we're anxious or worrying, we are struggling with God complexes, meaning we're desiring to control things that we obviously cannot control. Like if you came home and you saw your spouse out in a rainstorm shouting at the rain to stop. You'd be like, are you okay, baby? Do we need to talk to someone? Do we, do we have a fight? It just, it's That's what we do in our anxiety. We stare at things we cannot control and try to control them or scheme of ways to control them. Sometimes things aren't even real. (coughs) When we feel anxious, we can think, what am I trying to control that I can't control? What am I trying to do that only God can do and only God can be in control of? So that's the definition we're, we're working with. Let's describe it a little bit. Uh, psychologically, anxiety uh, plays out like in our minds, like constant what ifs. Tim Keller, pa- another pastor, he describes it like having the theme song to Jaws kind of going on in your head, and you're looking for the fin every everywhere you go. Wh- where's the fin gonna come? Where? I remember when I would swim with my dad as a little kid. As soon as he went underwater, I would get really nervous because I knew that he was gonna swim up and grab my toe and pull me under. This is something that can characterize our entire lives, constantly trying to imagine what could go wrong, what the what-ifs might happen, so that we can try to stay ahead of them. Physically, so that's psychologically. Physically, anxiety is called stress, which is actually a beautiful design of God in our bodies. It's the autonomic nervous system. It's an entire branch of our neurology that kicks in in the face of danger. We pump adrenaline and all kinds of things happen in our bodies physically that kind of prepare us for fight or flight response, depending on the, how you're wired in the situation. And that's healthy. We, it's good to have bodies that, that respond, that, that part of our nervous system kicks in. But think if we combine the physical stress with the mental stress of always imagining a shark fin out there, then we're going to have Problems. It's good to respond to real threats in life, like if there's a bear in the room, you want to have a bodily response that will help you get out or fight, if that's how you're wired, but I wouldn't advise it. And so when we have this uh, a kind of imagined state of psychological anxiety that then triggers our autonomic, I'm not probably not saying that right, that nervous system, then what happens to our bodies? They start to burn out. You can't live with a bear in your house your whole life. So we have thyroid problems, cancer, high blood pressure, hypertension, heart disease, ulcers, these the physical problems in our bodies that stem from the emotional or spiritual problem of anxiety. And I think Jesus sums it up really helpfully in verse 34 of our sermon text. If you're following along, it's 1505 in the Pew Bible. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Worry is about the potential of the bear coming into the room, not the actual. It's about it's future-oriented and a lot of what-ifs. And I think we can see the God complex because obviously none of us know what is going to happen tomorrow. Predictions are very hard to make, especially about the future. Anyone? You think about that. That's a Yogi Berra quote. So that is what anxiety is, God complex that tries to control what we can't control, namely the future. So now let's look at Jesus' merciful explanation for why we should, why we should not worry. Because Jesus, you know, he's king of the universe, so he could have said, hey, just don't do it, on to the next topic. But he, instead, because he's also our friend and our savior, and he loves us, he gives us these, uh, these simple and beautiful and vivid Arguments for why we should not—he appeals to our reason. He gives us three reasons. The first reason is that you are more than an animal; we are more than animals. Look with me in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? He's appealing to the longing of our hearts by just reasoning with us and saying, surely if you just had great clothes and all the food you need, there would still be something missing in your life. The point of life is not just to eat so that you can find more food to eat, so that you can find more food to eat, so that you can find more food to eat. Surely the point is not just to look good with your clothes. The point of life is not survival. So animals, they don't have souls, and not all dogs go to heaven. Sorry about that. Uh, they're they're, they're not humans. Uh, So they they don't have this internal longing. So a cow can simply eat, drink, be milked, live its happy cow life because it's a cow, it's an animal, it's not a human. But as humans, we have souls, emotions, relational uh, relational needs and intimacy needs. So if we're stressing about the, the mechanics, the physical stuff of life, surely we can see that even that it is not enough. Two example, common examples of this is the, the rich, absent dad who provides everything physically for his daughter but isn't there relationally or emotionally and, and then is one wonders why she rebels or never comes to visit. Obviously, the, the needs of the daughter is more than just the stuff, than just the physical things. And then when it comes to clothes, for some reason I think about this kid a lot. There's a kid on my soccer team in high school who came from a wealthy ha- family and Homeboy was just decked out. He had a brand new Mustang stick shift, the newest cleats that all the pros were wearing, all the coolest soccer clothes, and the fancy, like, you know, the ga- match balls in the World Cup that are like 300 bucks or whatever. It's just like there's literally nothing lacking. Everything that, I, that anyone would want on the soccer team, he had all of it. But he was just still weird. He was just still, like, on the outside, kind of trying to fit in. He felt, and because of the insecurity, it, That he seemed he seemed to have and I just remember thinking that because that was not my case the case uh, for me I had a great great my mom's here very well provided for but I didn't get a Mustang probably because she loves me Uh, (laughs) and uh, And I remember thinking like that's a bummer to have all that stuff and still not be on the inner circle to still not feel included Jesus appeals to our logic that food and clothing, they're just not going to be enough. So why are we stressing like they are, living less than human lives, focusing on what animals might focus on? So that's the, first, that's the first reason. The second reason that Jesus gives us to not worry is that so we're more than animals, but we are less than God. The next reason Jesus gives us is that we are not God. We're less than God. And he gives us two beautiful qualities of God to consider in comparison. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So he draws us back to animals, which is funny. The birds of the air don't plan ahead at all. They just wake up in the morning, and they live their life just looking for food, and then God provides. They don't plan for the future. They don't store up food for a rainy day. They just wake up and, and do their life. Why would God have made sparrows and crows? Why did he make all the intricacies of nature? Well, the answer is to show us himself, to show that the heavens proclaim the glory of God, as Psalm 19 says. And so what do the birds of the air proclaim about the glory of God? Is that he's infinitely powerful to sustain all of life. Every living creature on earth. There's so many crazy, goofy looking, fun, beautiful creatures on earth, and he sustains all of them. He's not a a watchmaker that designed the world and set it ticking and then leaves it alone. He's so big and powerful that he sustains all of these little birds flitting around. And he's not a utilitarian God. He's an infinite God. He didn't just set in motion exactly what we need. There's not just one thing to eat or one color of flower. There's an abundance of variety, and he sustains it all in his infinite power. And then he com- uh, Jesus compares us to God, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life. So while he's sustaining billions of hours of life at any given second we can't add an hour to our life by worrying if god removes his sustaining work from our life then then we're done we can buy the safest car on the market with the fanciest car seats and be the best most safest most alert 10 and 2 driver that there is and all it takes is one other not great driver to make your day go very bad we can see the tragedy in making all the moves that we're supposed to make and still getting hit by a, a bad driver because ultimately we, we can't control anything. We can live with wisdom. We can live, live by the Spirit. But if left to our own desi- devices, we can't sustain our own lives for a second. Jesus reasons with us, telling us who we are and who God is. Why would you worry? It's completely pointless because God is God and you are not. Why would we pretend to have a God complex when we are not God? The second comparison that Jesus gives us is in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. The beauty of nature happens without toil or labor. In our house, we have a flowering apple tree in the front yard that I have never seen stressed out about anything. Yet every spring, it explodes in glorious, beautiful blossoms. And again, let's ask the question, how does this proclaim the glory of God? Why did God create all these flowers and trees and bushes that just spring forth with beauty year after year? To show us that he has no lack. To show us his limitless Nature, his limitless beauty. God has no lack. There are no limits in God. Verse 29, <coughs> Jesus says, Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon is a historical figure in the Old Testament. Uh, similar to Tom Brady in our day and age, if you will, who literally had everything that you could possibly want. And honestly, Solomon would make Tom Brady look like a peasant. Uh, he had incredible wealth like it never been had before. He had uh, a 1,000 women of wives and concubines. He, had incre- uh, he built elaborate, beautiful buildings and planted entire forests and orchards through the most elaborate parties. You can read, read about this in Ecclesiastes. And it said at the end of his life, it's all meaningless. It's all pointless. The only thing that matters is to love God and obey, obey him and be content with your lot in life. Solomon worked super hard to make beautiful things and did make beautiful things, had incredible splendor. And Jesus is saying, like, even the most, uh, the most wealthiest, powerful human ever to walk the earth can't even compare to a simple flower. Why is that? Because we are not God, we're less than God, we have limits, we have lack. Even our representative for humankind, Solomon, with all of his resources, still had lack. When you're decorating your house, you probably prioritize the rooms that people spend the most time in. You're not going to hang beautiful artwork in the closet or put Brazilian teakwood in the furnace room, because we're limited, because we can't make everything beautiful. We have a lack, so we have to prioritize. But God has beauty for days. There's no limit to it. He pours out his beauty in places where humans can't even go to appreciate it until planet Earth came around. We should all watch planet Earth and worship God uh, this week. Where These places where no humans can really survive, but apparently they can send a camera there. There's parts of the ocean that that we can't even get to with creatures that we can't even really see. Because the universe is for us to enjoy, but ultimately it's to declare God's glory. He has no lack. He's not on a budget. He's not stingy. He never runs out of beauty. Look at verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We see God's abundance play out in temporary fleeting fleeting flowers how much more so will he care for us who he sent his son for he's going to clothe us with beauty he's promised to do this maybe not gucci and prada or whatever fancy people like to wear but with soul satisfying beauty with beauty that truly matters, with beauty that, that Solomon points to at the end of his life of wealth and parties and women was to know God and obey him and be content. So Jesus is calling us out of our God complex, calling us to humble ourselves to the reality of, of our limitations and, and be dependents. Do you see the be- beautiful tension here? We're more than animals. He, he, he brings up the birds and the flowers, but we're more than animals but we're also not God. We're not, we're not creators. We're, cre- we're created. That brings us to the last reason Jesus gave us not to worry. Verse 31 and 32. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The last reason why we shouldn't worry is that we are children, and it's the most perfect, beautiful, straight from Scripture metaphor we can come to. We're not animals, we're not God, but we are God's children. Children are obviously infinitely more valuable than animals, image bearers of God with souls, and yet they're so limited by design. They're dependent on their parents for everything. And Jesus shows us how children live, by comparing us to how orphans live, what he calls the pagans. Orphans are anxious because they don't have a good father that they can trust to take care of their needs. So they're constantly stressing about what they should eat and what they should drink and what what they should wear. Pagans, people outside the family of God, people who have not become children of God yet through Jesus, aren't God's children, we can feel stuck in the anxiety because they need to do it themselves it's like the street rat song in the movie aladdin where he's going all around town to get a piece of bread and trying not to get his arm cut off orphans scrape and steal and hustle and grind that's what orphans do that's what lost people do outside god's family strive and strain and chase orphans Fixate on needs because they don't have a father they can trust to meet them. And this can play out in an earthly, just uh, human level, depending on how our families were, whether we deal with their daddy issues. But it plays out spiritually for all of us until what? Until we're adopted into God's family by grace, through faith in the cross of Christ. Our Father knows what we need. And the first thing that God knew that we needed was a Savior, was Jesus, a way out of the prison and sin and brokenness that we live in as orphans. God gave us our need for redemption to pay the penalty for our our stealing and scraping that we do as orphans. We might not literally steal, but we scheme and we fake and we pretend and we achieve. We, we please people, and we work too hard, and we gorge ourselves on food and TV, all these things that we do in our orphan way of living. And then Jesus rose to new life to save us out of the orphan way of living and bring us into the kingdom. Flip over to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 32. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's page 1758. 1758. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is the beauty of the cross of Christ, is that it's a fact. It's a thing that happened, an event that happened. Jesus came, lived, and died, and rose again. And that is a historical reality that we can point to it's the bedrock, it's the, the pinnacle of God's incredible, gracious generosity to, towards his children. He didn't just give us an empty promise. He sent his son in flesh and bone to hang on a cross of wood on the earth and die and raise again. So friends, th- this, is the, this is the point. If we're anxious then there's a breakdown between the fact of what we know to be true of God's fatherly love and the fact, the objective reality that he's given us Christ and then our real life experience. We might be adopted into God's family but we're still living like orphans. We're in the family. We come downstairs. Everybody's at the table to eat breakfast but because we don't feel like we belong or we don't trust, we go out to steal a loaf of bread in our own way, in our own power, in our own anxiety. The adoption has been made complete in Christ, but we can still be stressing, living like orphans. Jesus ends the, the sermon text, flip back to the sermon text 1505 Matthew 6 with a do and a don't. Your father knows you need them, and he says, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all, things, all these things will be given to you as well. So one idea I hope to ground deep in all of us is that when we see the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, that we hear good life with God under his rule. We, we, kingdom of God means that we can experience life with him under his rule as our good father. All the details and needs of life are given to you when you seek life with God and you submit to his rule. That's a huge topic, and we're going to talk about that next week. And then he gives us a don't, another don't. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. You can't control it. Be present in today because what is going on today is important enough. I know many of us here feel limits and lack. Many of us uh, are going through hard times and just feel the strain of normal life. Even if there aren't hard times, sometimes just uh, kids and work and everything can just be a lot. So how do, how do we consider God's fatherly love for us in these times where we feel uh, spread thin, where we feel like empty, where we have nothing left to offer? What I think he's doing, what scripture says he's doing, is that he's pruning our lives. He's cultivating a heart to trust him, which is our ultimate need. More than we need anything else, we need hearts that can deeply trust our Father in heaven. He's calling us away from trusting in in our health or trusting in our money, our wealth, or trusting in what people say about us, people's opinions, saving us from the lie that these can actually satisfy us. And I think if we think through most of our suffering, it's going to be one of those categories. Am I safe and okay? Do people like me? Am I enough? And so when we're staring at something that we hate in our life, some lack, some limit, something that we want out of our life, the next step in living in the kingdom of God is to go to him, to be with him in it. Tell him that you hate it. Confess your anxiety and ask him to grow you. Give him eyes to see with gratitude how he has met your needs today, how he's given your daily daily bread today. And then give him tomorrow. It's the incredible power of the idea of now. We're so bad at living now. We're always focusing on the future. And it's important because right now is when we interact with God. Right now is when we can experience the love of God. Right now is when he's with you and he's teaching you. If we're always lost in the future, then we'll miss today. We'll miss seeing him provide our daily bread today. So here's my application for you. This is very much part of the heart-body loop. This is straight in the heart-body loop. Because what goes on in our heart affects uh, what we do and how we live in the world, and how we live in the world affects our hearts. And the issue here is trusting the Father in the deep places of our hearts. But what can we do to make our hearts trust God? Nothing. We can't just pop the hood and put in a trust turbocharger. But we can control what we do with our bodies. So here's the application. Super profound. You'll probably have to go to seminary to understand it. Go for a walk. Go for a walk. Let's take Jesus at his word and actually consider the world that God made to proclaim his glory. You can consider other things than birds and lilies. You don't need to be legalist, but let's get out of our cars and turn off the TV, leave our phones at home and go for a nice slow walk where all we're doing is being present to our five senses. What do I see? How do I feel? What do I smell? How does the air feel on my skin? Where am I carrying the anxiety in my body? When I try this practice, I I find that I'm clenching my jaw. I'm like walking down the river clenching my jaw. Why am I doing that? And I'm breathing very shallow. I'm clenching my jaw and breathing very shallow. Why am I doing that? I don't know. When I, like, cognitively come into the moment with my father, see what's in front of me. I see squirrels living life without stress, just hanging out, teasing my dog, Rosie. see trees just exploding with lush green. You see huge trees that have stood in that place, rooted and grounded for decades, Maybe hundreds of years. You'll see a river that's full and powerful and silent and flowing the way it has for centuries. You'll see nature being the way God designed it to be, and it'll be an invitation to be the way God designed you to be as his beloved child who's cared for. This is not a quick fix but it's a simple practice that we can do with our bodies to give God space, give the Holy Spirit space in our hearts to grow, our, grow us in trust, to bring us into the moment where God is waiting for us. And I don't pretend that it will be easy. If you have kids or a busy work schedule, you might have to cut stuff out. And of course, this doesn't replace reading your Bibles and praying. This is not the only type of rhythm to do with God. We must be in the Word all you quiet time police out there. But living a life of joy, and tr- a joy of trusting our Father is so much better than our orphan God complexes and the things that we pack our lives full with to try to meet our needs. So let's join with creation in proclaiming God's glory by the peace that we can have as his children. Let me pray. Father, I, I praise you for this passage from our King and Savior Jesus who, where we can just so clearly see that he's not out to kill our joy uh, but wants to make it full, that he gives us command so that his joy might be in us and our joy might be full. So I pray that we would receive it. I pray, Father, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, uh, protect us from any condemnation that would... Uh, that would burden us, but instead we'd feel your love calling us out of anxiety. I pray that we would just become curious and receptive as well-loved children to receive the anxiety when it comes, to take it to you, to be curious about where it's coming from, and that you would transform us into trusting, joyful children for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers can come forward Enter our time of communion. Our tradition here is to uh, pass out the cracker and wait till everybody's been served and then partake together. And then we'll pass out the juice, wait till everybody's been served, and then uh, take that together. Uh, one of the beautiful things of Jesus' instructions on the night that he was betrayed is that he gave us something to do with their bodies juice to eat, cracker to eat. Uh, and we, we do that today in, in prayer that this this would be remind us of the fact of God's providence for us, that we can trust him because we can see the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. So uh, let me pray. Father, we come to the table as your children, uh, wanting to trust you, wanting to enjoy you. I thank you for this, this ordinance, this sacrament that you gave us uh, to do with our bodies. Pray that you would empower us by... With your spirit, that the simple act would uh, would just could be a bedrock uh, grounding us deeper into the, the, the love we can see from you towards us in the cross of Christ in his name. Amen.